life in three dimensions got me bent and got me twisted. I don't want to set a lot, but I should probably stop pretending. I don't really hold the key and I can't really push a button. I just step up to the mic and try my very best to bust it, but I ran out of breath. It's tight in my chest. My feet just might fail. I can't stand up. What's going on, everyone? You are listening to Racially Speaking, where we have real and honest conversations about race as it's viewed through the lenses of faith, family, and vocation. I'm your host, David Phipps, and I am joined by a returning guest. I think it was episode 18 she was on. Um, And I'm not even going to say just guest, um, co-host today. Um, I've called her in from the bullpen. She's one of my go-to main correspondents of the podcast. I'm without... Um, the Social Justice Cowboy, my regular John Mark, this evening as we're recording this. But I'm joined by my really good friend, uh, doctoral. Well, she's informed me she's not, can't be called a candidate yet, but PhD, doctoral student right now, correct? Um, Brooke Carroll. Brooke, thank you in the midst of all you got going on, like I just said. Um, doctoral studies, studying you're doing. Thank you for breaking away for a second. Burning the uh, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, uh, midnight-ish oil um, with yeah. me coming on the show. Welcome back. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be back. David, you know it's been a year. Since you came on? Yeah. We oh. recorded it on um, Indigenous Peoples Day last year. Oh my gosh, we did. And that was on Monday. <laughs> happy one-year anniversary. Happy, happy one-year anniversary to Racially Speaking for my engagement with it anyway. <laughs> Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, not Columbus Day. Not Columbus Day. Although Caitlin pointed out that it's like a slash, it's it. They're calling it both. I'm like, man, get that out of here. Yeah, I do. I do remember <laughs> that. I remember that. Well, how how's it going? I just gave a little synopsis of what you've been up to, but give me a little like, what's it like studying uh, to get your PhD? Um. It's wild. I would say one of the things that I've like learned the, or at least a takeaway, cause it's never been something that's like explicitly taught is like the privilege of research. And I would have never said that, mm-hmm. um, as a student, like there's a lot of privilege in doing research and there's an intimacy in it, like engaging with the different populations or the interventions that we might be looking at. So, I mean, it goes without saying that I'm doing a lot of mine on correctional mental health. I'm doing a lot of mine on reentry stuff. Um, I'm actually currently working on some some uh, some projects looking at how to better educate non-mental health staff in probation offices because they are typically the people who actually implement the most treatment. Like you might see a mental health counselor when you're in probation, but you're really working with your probation officer. And so it's it's crazy necessary for them to be equipped with evidence-based practices and just something that'll carry out a treatment plan. So it's really exciting. I get very bogged down. <laughs> um, like last week, it, I was not having it, but this week I'm in a better place. Great. I'm so excited to have somebody like you and you specifically in in this field. That's going to be you're you're incredible resource for me personally, but I know you're going to be an incredible resource for many other people. Um, as you, you are now, I know, but once you can't wait to call you doctor, that's gonna be fun. I, I might, can't wait to be called doctor. <laughs> hey, yeah. I might exclusively call you that. What you got? Yeah, I mean for real, 
I will be the person who I walk across the stage and I, I'm doctor from there on out. Like, I don't care what you knew me as before. Yeah. I just so, have a master's. So in, in my classes, it, you know, you obviously, for obvious reasons, don't go by anything unless you have a PhD. So, you know, I go all the way down and say, look, just call me my first name. But it always, yeah, I always felt bad for my professors that probably want to be called doctor and deserve deserve to be called that but i feel like they get painted in a bad light because of the all the quote-unquote cool professors that try and go by their first name and i'm like i I just never really liked that i still don't like it unless they really like press in but you know i had a couple of professors that you know insisted on first names i'm like man this just feels weird you're i don't want you to be Mm -hmm. my peer i want you to be be my professor you know you know so there's a whole conversation like that's a whole conversation david i bet (laughs) You yeah. will, you'll be, you'll be Dr. Carol to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's exciting. That's exciting. All right, let's jump in. Um, for our listeners, Brooke, I've brought you in. Like I said, co-host, we're going to dive in this, this stuff together. I know you got some thoughts about some stuff. It's been a minute since we put an episode out. So frankly, you know, uh, John Mark and I's schedules have not aligned. The stars are not aligned for us lately. Um, but I know that I can call on you to have these conversations um, because we already have them semi-frequently, even though there's some distance between us right now um, on bigger stories that are happening. And just so much has been cranking out um, since we last were able to put an episode out that, and you know, and I I know I want to give off the impression that I think we should comment on every single thing that happens because, you know, hopefully that's fairly clear listeners that that is absolutely impossible, but there I've been some bigger stories that I felt like um, would be helpful for those of you that look to us as any kind of resource um, or just look for us to engage um, that I wanted to give some thoughts on and have a conversation. Um, so, Brooke, again, thank you for, for being here. And I'll speak for our listeners. They are appreciative, I'm sure, as well. But, uh, all right, let's start maybe a little lighthearted. It'll go quickly in a non-lighthearted direction probably, but... Um, Entertainment, and this is reaching back a ways, but let's just let's start with the kids. So, how about that Little Mermaid trailer? <laughs> you see that? Oh, so let's start positive. Okay, let's start positive. Amazing! It looks yes. incredible. I knew it was going to be incredible. Lin Manuel Miranda wrote the music. Blah blah blah. David Diggs is in it, which I haven't seen any samples from him yet because the previews are so short. Um, Haley Berry playing Ariel. Um, her voice sounded incredible. Just that little tidbit we got. The Everything we saw, I think it was like a 20-second preview at this point. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be incredible. It's Millie, my three-year-old's favorite. Princess probably maybe second favorite. Um, that's going to be incredible. But took some darker turns from people responding to the trailer. Um, and you were going to jump into that. I could tell. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is, I know you said we want to start positive. I think it's crazy. People knew that this was happening. People knew this was coming. We knew she was going to be Ariel. I feel like I've known for at least a year. I feel like this came out a while ago. So people's reaction was was just astounding. Um, I, I personally 
was more struck watching the reaction videos, um, like of children Mm. seeing it and being shocked. Um, but like shocked in such a good way. Um, and I'm just like, people, you, you can't like, you can't take that away from me. You can't take a child's joy or even a teenager's joy at seeing a black girl. I'm pretty sure she has braids in, in this trailer. Like you can't take that away from me. Um, because that is representation. Like this is, we're talking about baseline representation here. Um, so for people to, to go crazy like they did was so disheartening, but I was just like, all right, turn it off. Like if somebody is talking negative, but we're going to move because it's just unnecessary. Like I'm not going to cloud my vision with somebody being so unnecessary. Absolutely. Like that. So let's catch everybody up. If you're someone that wasn't necessarily following the Disney preview of little mermaid live action, and certainly if you're not somebody that follows or would have seen headlines or people's reactions, Little Mermaid um, live action trailer comes out. Ariel, as like you said, Brooke, people knew was going to happen, is being played by Haley Berry. Um, not Halle Berry, Haley Berry. Um, young, beautiful black actress and singer as well. Um, I believe, well, she is. Um, anyway, amazing, amazing trailer. And... I'll preface this by saying very little surprises me with these reactions nowadays. I don't say that to act hard or be like, yeah, you know, I, I, nothing surprises me nowadays and sound old or something, but it doesn't really, with that said, even I was a little bit surprised by how low some of the takes were and pushback. Um, obviously I know racism is everywhere. And I'm not surprised in general that it was there. But some of the specific pushbacks, I found that, and I want to break this down because unfortunately I think it's worth breaking down. Um, Yeah, some of the takes were surprising even how specific they were and serious they went. That all I could do kind of was laugh a little bit because I was like, I I couldn't even have tried to make it that specific. And what I'm talking about is there was, some of the sentiments out there were Ariel can't be, I saw, I saw a few Ariel can't be black. You know, she's a, she's a mermaid. Um, and that wouldn't have, uh, lined up with sun exposure. I saw some people push back to people, you know, celebrating the representation by saying, you know, well, this is messing up the, the original, like how the story was supposed to be with Ariel being white. And I saw, um, a couple of responses. One specifically was um, saying, well, let's see if you guys keep that same energy. If a movie comes out about like Rosa Parks and is played by a white person. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Cause I, I'm, I don't want to, but going to break it down because I do want to be helpful and educational, but please listeners understand if you saw anything like that, or maybe you've thought something like that. Not the same, not even kind of close. Mermaids are fictional. They are there, made up specifically to entertain people, specifically kids. So there's, there's really not another thing to say besides we should celebrate the representation. We're going to mm-hmm. bring that full circle. Having 
a white person or someone of a different race play a historical, a prominent, important historical figure is completely different. Um, I want to put that out there and we wouldn't spend any time on this if it would have just been, if this wasn't a thing, but it is, it's, it was out there. It was a collective, um, response to this, this preview. And along the same time, other stuff has been happening with, there's been a lot of pushback on fictional stories. Um, I don't, I'm not a Game of Thrones person, but I know that they've, um, increased representation with uh, Game of Thrones characters. I've heard pushback on them. Mm-hmm. Fantasy. Um, and I've heard that there's... Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord theory. of the Rings. More reputation, more representation in their casting. Pushback there. Um, and so I just... I wanted to shed light on this because I was even scrolling back and seeing what some of the previous episodes um, we've even done on here on Racially Speaking and right at the beginning we started out with talking about representation and it can kind of sound like we're beating a dead horse, I think, but this is why, like I bring it back to this, like I love to not have to keep coming back to this. Um, but seeing reactions to something so small, like a Disney trailer, seeing that, Mm -hmm. that much, um, pushback on something like that is just, is, is wild, um, to me. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of the only little tidbit I had. I can't, I can't wait for that. That's going to be an incredible movie. Yeah. Well, and they just, I just saw an announcement that I think there's an, there's, um, there's going to be a live of beauty and the beast and her oh, the R&B artist, playing bell. Oh, they just did one. Okay. So not a live action movie. I think this is going to be like one of those like live musicals. Oh, 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 they, okay. they like a couple of years ago. And that's going to be phenomenal. Dope. And if I hear one person comment about her, I'm going to be like, um, just, just, just close your eyes. Don't, don't even watch the movie. Just close, Dope. just listen to her. You can't be angry when you're listening to her. So. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that. Who else is going to be in that? I've only seen the announcement for her. Okay. Man. Okay. That's gonna I be. hope it's real. If it's not real, then I just spewed false news on your <laughs> podcast. And gonna I don't get, think we're I gonna get flagged. flagged. Yeah, we're gonna spreading get rumors. Um. Okay. Yeah, I will have to check that out. I'm. I mean, I'm pumped if that is right. I hope you didn't just get my hopes up, Brooke. Um. How about the uh, Black Panther trailer? Are you a Marvel person? I okay. So I'm not a Marvel person, but okay. I'm into those. Like, I'll watch them. Yeah. yeah. I'm a new Marvel I don't person. Know the, I don't know the weave stuff. My brother could literally tell me how every single person's connected. Their yeah. origin. He'll go through all that. And I will sometimes call him and say, well, now what does this mean? What, what's the importance of this? So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I love, love Chad, Chadwick Boseman and was very intrigued as to how they were going to do this. Mm-hmm. And just the build up to it over the last few years has been, um, really exciting. So to see that trailer come out, I'm just excited. Like, I don't, like I said, I don't know the storylines and whatnot, but I'm like, this is, yeah. if this one has any level of the impact of the last one, like I'm excited. Yeah. So. It looks incredible. And I think that it'll mostly stand alone. I'm a, I'm a new Marvel person. I'm literally in the midst of catching up to be current. It's taken, it's taken a minute. Me and Caitlin just finally, um, I've been keeping John Mark up to date here intermittently on here, but um, 
we just, for whatever reason, could not keep up with the thousand movies that we're cranking out. But this summer, late summer, we're just like, all right, we're going to do it. And we've almost gotten there. We just, for Marvel people listening, we just got through WandaVision and we're on our way. And I think part of the motivation is to be ready for, for Black Panther. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the trailer, much like you said, I don't have anything to add. Just looked fantastic. Also, it was just going to hit differently, I think. Um, cause I think it'll stand alone, but it's also just, it's so real because it, you know, they're not recasting Chadwick Boseman. Um, but having, uh, which we don't know who it is yet, but a female, we know that take over is Black Panther. Some people think it's Letitia Wright, Shuri or Lupita. Um, but we don't know. But anyway, it's going to be pay homage to not only Black Panther and T'Challa, but Chadwick Boseman in a very real way, I think. And that first trailer was gut-wrenching with the um, Bob Marley, Kendrick mashup playing in the background. Um, I just, it's, I think it's going to be pretty tough to watch, but I know it's going to be good. Ryan Coogler, the director, is incredible. So I'm I'm pumped about that. That series just seems to be very... um, like legacy is that's the only word that pops up in my head when I think of yeah. that series. Um, there will be such a legacy left from that period. Like even looking at Kendrick Lamar, like doing the original soundtrack, I mean, wow. everything yeah. is so good. Um, and so to see them bring it back and I'm excited, I probably won't go see it in theaters. I will admit that I'm not a movie theater person, no. um, but I will. <laughs> yeah. Support the arts, bro. Especially nowadays. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll order it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll order it from whatever. The last movie I went and saw was Dear Evan Hansen, and I saw it in the theater by myself oh so that my I could gosh. be in the theater by myself. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. By yourself seeing that. Yeah, I mean, I could see why it'd be good to see by yourself. I'm weird. I, uh, Kaylin likes to go to movies by herself. She doesn't do it much, but that's therapeutic for her. I have like, I'm about to research if there's something, this is called something, but I have like a, just a, a fear and I don't know why, not of movie theaters, but of like being by myself in a situation like that. Like it would freak me out to be in a movie theater by myself. I don't know why. That and then like I have a standing rule, like we will not go into Target or like a department store when it's like inside 20 minutes of closing time because it freaks me out when they start shutting the lights off to get you to like move toward the front. I can't handle it. I start to like, sweat and get all tense. I'm like, all right, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I don't know what I think is going to happen. I never had a bad experience, but I'm just like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's a side tangent, but that's like, I have yeah. like a phobia of being stuck in a giant dark room. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. We, we could go down. Listen, Dave, <laughs> I think the movie theater one makes more sense, but. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking yeah. to the right person. Maybe you, you can diagnose that. I know. I, my, my, <laughs> Okay. By the end of the podcast, uh, I want to hear something that can help me process this. Yeah. Some deliverables. Um, All right. Let's keep this uh, this train moving a little bit. Um, Like I said, there's some bigger stories that have that you know listeners may or may not have been following, um, but some that I did just want to hit on. We, especially me, broke a little more, um, more so aren't claiming to be experts on these things. I think we're both fairly well-researched on what was going on. Um, and we wanted to kind of break down, of course, some of the 
justice or injustice for that matter and um, racial elements to some of these stories that was both talked about and not talked about. One of the bigger ones that I think probably went overlooked a little bit for maybe a couple of days it was big, but I think it kind of fell to the wayside, was the uh, Jackson, Mississippi water crisis. Okay, mm-hmm. did you did you follow that much, Brooke? Or have you been? Yeah, I saw it, I saw it in the beginning um, and have seen where... I think the last thing I read on it was that, and this just happened this week, I think Mississippi is looking to like privatize the water. Yeah. Um, like what they're doing as far as like just the, uh, the actual residential water. Yeah. And that's, that just says so much on a socioeconomic level. I mean, most of the poverty in our country comes out of Mississippi. Um, yeah. one of the largest po- uh, poverty rates in the country. And so, for you to privatize that, there's no incentives for your residents to do that. That is, that is merely like monopoly gain there. Um, yeah. That's the last thing I saw. Um, and just, just disgusted at it. Like how that's going to impact their, the financial structure of that state. I mean, restaurants mm-hmm. really can't be open anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's water. It's one of the, the most basic need, right, mm-hmm. for survival. To me, it's just wild and should be a huge wake-up call, one, to, in America, richest, you know, country in the world, right? Um, I believe we still are. Anyway, top, one of the top. We're up there. We're up yeah. there. Um, having no running water and no running clean water um, mm-hmm. is unacceptable. Yeah. Like that is, that's unacceptable. Um, and that should be jarring in a lot of ways, not just because it's happening, but if you delve into it, even just for five minutes reading into it, the thing that should be even more um, surprising and cause you to... Um, I don't know, want to do something about it is how it's not new. Like it, it just got national attention. It's one of those, like it, it didn't just happen and catch anybody off guard. The citizens in Jackson aren't surprised and all of them are really unanimously saying this has been happening for quite some time and essentially calling out their leadership for poor infrastructure and there's a lot of different elements at play that I was reading about we're not going to go down too many rabbit trails but they were talking to people even I read some of the local papers from Mississippi um and you know a plumber a plumber was interviewed even saying he was just used to poor infrastructure and his calls weren't you know oh someone's got a broken toilet or something it was oh, the pipes are too old, like, in this entire area. And he was just used to things breaking down and there there being a... Um, it was fairly normal over this last year, year and a half, it sounds like, to have a um, boiling water mandate mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to use, whether it's, like, and using bottled water to brush your teeth. Now they're moving towards privatizing bottled water. Um all of this, again, this is where my expertise, like I don't know the answer, but I do know that things that 
local and federal government spends money on. Like there, there's money out there, and the amount of money to fix, to repair and fix um, the issue down there, there's something wrong that we can't just snap our fingers and have that money show up to mm-hmm. take care of it. Yeah. And the more I, the more I read and heard from citizens who are around there, um, it's it, it's a um, one Mississippi, I think, is bottom three, maybe overall as a state. Maybe, I think it might be the bottom. I'll have to fact check, but um, almost the bottom, if not the lowest for poverty, people living in poverty, and then specifically Jackson, that county, is way at the bottom in the state. And it's, um, this is where the racial elements come in, is over 80% yeah. black or African-American population and they've continued to suffer from white flight, um, the wealthier white citizens moving out, which affects taxes, which, you know, it's a ripple effect, affects the whole infrastructure and money not being there to literally sustain the town. With the most basic need, basic physical human need, water. Um, I think it's just crazy. And yeah. You go ahead. I got a couple more things to add in in this next part. Well, I was just going to say on the on the governmental tier type yeah. of that level, there we're seeing in a lot of states right now that there was a ton of money left over in state yeah. budgets. So in Virginia, I mean, I'm going to piss some people off when I say this. In Virginia, a lot of state employees are getting raises and they are getting – bonuses and that's because of excess money hey i just i just got a raise bro yeah i just got a raise too (laughs) so i mean like i said i'm pissing people off with this but the reality is is that that's happening in other states too how about we fix the problems and i get it people need money i get there are issues with um inflation and whatnot and that that was a great benefit to get that but I'm sorry, if I don't have running water in my house, mm-hmm. getting an extra 300 bucks on my paycheck every two weeks isn't going to help me. So yeah. if I'm not taking the influx that I have, which had to have been thousands upon thousands upon million dollars, if I'm going to shell it out for all the state employees, I could have fixed some piping. Mm-hmm. I might not have been able to replace the whole state, but I could have addressed something if I allocated my funds correctly. Um, and so that's just, that's, where my head goes with that, I'm like, we have influx. Mm-hmm. And so what are, what are we doing with it? Right, right. Um, I was reading, I can't remember the name of the surrounding county, but um, they even interviewed people in the surrounding counties saying, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing if you live in Jackson to just imagine and dream of getting out and just like a county over these people are, are like, it, it's night and day over here like it used to be in Jackson now I'm here and it's not like a little disparity it's like they they, they use the term night and day how much mm-hmm. better it is and it has everything to do and their their words the citizens the Mississippians words um largely to do with with race like I said just predominantly predominantly um black area that is not prioritized and like it'd be one thing if it was a more broad issue to me and it was more explainable, but just article and thing after thing that I read um, and listened to was 
this this is avoidable. And that's where I think the injustice element comes into play for me. If it's avoidable, like easily avoidable, someone needs to be held accountable. Like there's something yeah. something not adding up, something not um not right. Mm-hmm. So I think I read maybe a, a couple billion dollars is necessary to fix all this. To us, that sounds like a lot of money, but that that's nothing. That should be a drop in the bucket. Um, mm-hmm. Like this should be fixed six months ago or a year ago, whenever it was. It's been happening for a long time. And it was just, it was really sobering to hear from a lot of the people interviewed how, almost how not um, jarred they were of the recent news. Because they're just like, I mean... It's been, it's happening. been happening. Like this is what mm-hmm. we're used to. We're used to boil water mandates. Like I can't, I can't imagine that boiling boiling water mandates because we got brown water coming through um, our tub and, and sinks is just it's craziness to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was going on for years. Yeah, and that just well, and a county pretty, over was fine. Well, and I'm pretty sure doesn't Flint, Michigan, still not have right a crisis there too. Like, yeah. and that, that is just baffling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's everything we talked about so far. I'm going to go ahead and name the episode. Stop dehumanizing us. Um, not, not, I'm not claiming to be from Mississippi, but like, you know, people of color and we're going to get into a couple more stories, but it's just a, a treat people with dignity, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Treat people with dignity. Um, that's craziness. Not having running water. Um, yeah. All right, this gets well, I, you go oh, ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say, you know, we're coming up on the holiday season. Like we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Okay. You look at, I know, colon, colonization and all of that stuff, but like people fled something for a reason, and so if mm-hmm. we're coming to a nation to seek better. We're fleeing something else. We, we being them, we're asking for better. We were asking for, for humanity. And so for us to still be fighting this battle across people groups is, is sickening to me. I'm I'm, just like you said in the beginning, like, I'm not going to say I'm shocked, but I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm baffled. It's sickening at this point. Like, how do we not learn a lesson I don't think we're going to solve that in a podcast episode, but I think we have to wake up and see that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to stick with, stick with Mississippi, but um, move on to this next part of it. And I, I'm not going to make a super specific connection because I don't have the data to show the exact numbers of how it is directly correlated, but you can't make this next part up. Um, whether or not you, you um, listeners um, followed this at all, but within the last couple of weeks, beloved, retired, Hall of Fame, um, NFL quarterback, Brett Favre of uh, the Green Bay Packers um, was caught in a lucrative millions and millions of dollar um, welfare scheme in his home state of Mississippi. You can't really make this, this up. 
um, I heard it broken down and it, this person who's breaking it down on another podcast I listened to said, you know, I've never, I don't know if I've, it's hard to even say cause it's so jarring, but you usually, I don't think you, many of us have met people like this. So like if you encounter, you know, someone asking for money or people who are, who are poor, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, give people, give people money that they're asking for it. Or sometimes I won't, you know, sometimes there's people who are, no, leave me alone. Like, I'm not going to give you any money. And then there are people who say, oh, yeah, sure, here's five, ten bucks. I don't think many people think about th- this third type of person because I don't think there's very many like this. But then there's another person that walks by someone that only has, like, one thing and says, hey, I like that. I'm also going to take that. Like, give it to me. And it's kind of what Brett Favre's done. So he's this lines up with, the Mississippi thing, his home state is he's caught stealing money from welfare funds in Mississippi for his own gain, but then also to help build a volleyball facility at his daughter's school, which I can't remember which school was in Mississippi. Mississippi state. Mississippi University? state, I believe. Um, I don't I think, think it was Ole Miss. No, I wasn't Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just I I saw the story and I was like, there's there's gotta be more to it. There's for sure more details, but no details that make him look any better. In fact, way worse. Mm-hmm. There's texts out there and um of him just outright literally stealing, funneling millions upon millions of dollars out of the welfare system in Mississippi to go into his pockets. And let's not miss out that it's the TANF fund, which is temporary assistance for needy families. Yeah. Like literally, literally stealing like, from the poor. Yes. People who have to apply for this and prove yeah. that they meet criteria. So people had been, um, yeah. So people have to apply and then heard plenty of stories of people continually being denied this money, partly because, you know, some of it wasn't there. And then, you know, slew of other reasons. But, you know, literally stealing from the poor. Um, Hall of Fame million dollar, millionaire quarterback. Um, beloved Mississippian, like a face of Mississippi in a lot of ways to some people. Um, just, I don't, I didn't know what to think or do with it because it was so puzzling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think I'd I was thinking of, you know, what if we found out that LeBron was stealing from the city of Akron through his, like, I Promise school, which, you know, scratch that. I'm not going to put Brett Favre on LeBron's level. What am I doing? Um, But you get the idea. Like, it's craziness. But if it happened, David, you and I would be heartbroken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I can't think of a better, you know, you know, another example. There'd be other elements of that that were to happen, obviously. But um, um, to to put it together, like I said, I don't have the exact data of you know Brett Favre made twenty million dollars off of this, and that was going out of the pockets of Jackson Mississippians. I don't have that close to a connection, but mm-hmm. you can The connection is just is so crazy to me. Um, mm-hmm. Being from Mississippi, knowing the what we just said, the poverty level of the state in general, 
that he could stomach doing that to, you know, literally his own people um, in a lot of ways um, is, is terrible. And I'm going to let off the gas a little bit on that, but I did want to say that it does, because I like to talk about interconnectedness. So um, it presses into what I think is a um, stereotype that we should bring up, and it's, you know, the label of uh, the insensitive label of, you know, welfare queens and poor people, poor black people um, getting labels like that mm-hmm. and treated as if they are just living living the good life, living off welfare and moochers and not being able to get jobs. And all this stuff is like all these racist, mm-hmm. problematic things yes. and stereotypes. Yeah. And then you have a story like this coming out and I don't have names, but more and more things I've read, you know, saying that this isn't, this is one of the biggest, probably the biggest welfare scheme that's ever come out, but at least in Mississippi, but for sure isn't the only one going on. And we just happen to know about it now. Um, and yeah. I, I'm not here to try and find a bunch of rabbit trails currently, but I'm just going to say that that's also just worth mentioning to me of how deeply wrong it is to still have all of those stereotypes still having been a thing. And then you got this happen. So, mm-hmm. well, and this isn't intended to be a rabbit trail. I actually think it'll flow great into something else yes. um, that we wanted to talk about is, is the federal aspect of this. So in this, I had um, the only thing that I had like really dove deep in when it came, when it came to this topic was um, an article that I found that specifically discussed how federally those funds get dispersed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's actually not a lot of, of guidelines for how nonprofit organizations um, and other federally funded things like TANF can distribute that money on a contribution type basis. And so one of, one of the arguments was that like, you know, nonprofits were getting involved in this because they were then going to offer assistance in this rec center or in the volleyball stadium, whatever it is. So they were going to be providing a service there, which is why they were able to give their money to it allegedly. Um, And that just brings into question where, like, how does the federal government (laughs) oversee this and say, Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. We'll let that fly. Yeah. The state says, yeah, we'll accept it. We'll bring it in, you know? And I don't think, yeah, that says a lot about the, I guess, the justice system as well, because I don't think even as we're recording this, like, I don't think Brett Favre's been, you know, charged or arrested or anything like that. He's just been found out to be involved, involved, like, for sure, like, in a big way. But because of what you kind of just outlined, loopholes, he hasn't technically been, you know, charged with something. So, you know, right now it's kind of headed towards, well, other than his reputation being ruined because people know what happened legally, he's not on a path to be put in jail or anything, even though people around him have, I think many of them have pled guilty to all this stuff. Um, yeah. What was it? Uh, Bill Bryant, Nancy News. News. I can't remember what her last name is, but... I think what I saw was six people so far are in custody. And I think there's 38 people total. So somehow he has not been one of them. And I I was, I was actually genuinely confused about why that was why he had not been also arrested, but 
loopholes. It looks like from some of the text that like they, they, there was some speaking in code. So I think right. they have to figure that out. Right, right. Um, anyway, we went in on Brett Favre pretty hard right now, but I I think you got to because it is uh, indicative of something so much bigger. Um, yeah, I think of like praying on praying on the weak. Okay, so if, yeah. if Mississippi truly has some of the highest rates of poverty, lowest lowest rates of education in the country wouldn't they be an easy target to be yeah. able to say like, Oh, we don't have enough funds yeah. to help our impoverished citizens. We don't have enough. Cause there's so many people that are in poverty. No, you don't have enough cause you've misallocated them. Yeah. Hope Brett Favre um, bounces back as a human being, but this is tough. Um, never want to say someone's never going to bounce back or yeah. be forgiven. But um, uh I think our hearts go out to the people whose lives are forever changed because of this. Like lives are, were changed, many ruined in a lot of ways because of, because of this. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a sad story. Um, Just, yeah. Jarring to see somebody like that fall from grace so quickly. Um, Anyway, we can, we can move on from, from Brett Favre. Um, we want to talk about next. We got a couple things. I wanted to pick your brain about something. Okay. Actually, so let's go in, in here. Um, again, I don't know if these things are connected at all, but um, the nature of your day-to-day, um, I'm going to speak quasi in code because I know you, are, you balance what you can and can't talk about. We talked about that a little bit before we recorded. Um. Mm-hmm. Okay, so President Biden just pardoned, and correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, federal possession of marijuana charges. Simple possession. Simple Mm -hmm. possession. um, Federally, and is encouraging states to follow suit. Okay, so on that, I think that is um, a big deal as far as... Um, I can't think of the word, not necessarily reparations, but as far as looking out for the disenfranchised um, and kind of correcting what's left over, the residual effect from the war, the war on, on drug. drugs. Yeah, so I think I personally think this is um, a great move for him and step in the right direction. I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing ever, but it's a gra- I think it's a step in the right direction. Um it's going to help a lot of people. Um, as far as your concerns and your knowledge of this, doing what you do, can we say what you do? You know, in in corrections. I'm a counselor. Yeah, I'm a counselor in the okay, in counselor, the criminal justice okay. system. Counselor corrections in yeah. the justice system. So you have knowledge about how this could affect things. But so as far as the word for genius, we'll talk about that somewhat. Again, Brooke, say what you can say. I don't want you to get in trouble, put your life or your job on the line for um, this podcast by any means. Um, But, okay, so this, I'm assuming, gets a lot of people out of prison who were... um, It doesn't. Okay, it doesn't. Wait, okay, I'll come back to that. 
Yeah. That might answer my question of how it's related. And shows my limited knowledge. Okay, so this happens. Is it connected at all to um, overcrowding? So I guess it's not. Anyway, you, you can explain. Something you talked to me about a few months ago mm-hmm. that was going to happen and didn't happen that was going to help release people out of um, overcrowded jails and things were going to get pardoned. And then local government usurped that and took that back after the newest elections. Um, is any of this connected or is it just all separate? So what are your thoughts? Sounds like you can explain it much better than I just did. Yeah. So no, I, you, you were tracking, you were tracking real well. Okay. So going back to the releases, as far as what on the federal level, what president Biden did, um, that pardon applied to people who like their most intense charge was simple possession. So in Virginia, that was actually only about 10 people, um, like on the prison level, prison level, not jails. Cause jails, I mean, that's, a lot of people. Um, but if we look back to COVID, okay. So during COVID there was actually a lot of early releases that happened. If people had less than six months, if, if they were nonviolent offenders, if they were on pretrial, these, which just means they've not gone to trial yet, they've not been found guilty, but they're being held for a crime. Depending on what that was, those people got out during COVID, during the, the height of it. And that was for overcrowding purposes, because let's think about it. A jail or a prison is going to be a Petri dish yeah. for any sickness. I mean, flu season, stomach bugs, whatever, like those, those they're congregate settings. And yeah. so those things are Petri dishes for disease. Um, so that's where that started from. So then this law came up in Virginia. It was a house bill at first. It did end up getting passed, but then it got manipulated and kind of repassed. Um, so it bounced between the House and the Senate. And what this was, you've heard people probably talk about like, oh, good time. Like I, I, I'm sentenced to this, but with good time, I'll only serve 80%. Mm-hmm. So that is called a good time earning level. And it, that breaks down in Virginia. We have four tiers of it. I can't remotely give you the amount of time you earn on each tier, but this law that was Um, this bill that was being put in place into law would make it. So at the top tier to promote good behavior while incarcerated, you would earn 15 days back for every 30 days you served. Whereas previously we were at, at, we were at um, four and a half days for every 30 days. So it, I mean, it would cut your sentence by a lot. Right. Um, And this was meant to go into effect on July 1st and per state law, they can only hold you, um, 60 days beyond your release date. You know, that's barring any, like you get in trouble while you're in there, you pick up new charges. That's barring that straight up. You have been a a well-behaved person while incarcerated. They have 60 days from July one to let you out. So that got flipped over the summer about the week before, uh, where the current administration came in and said that some things were not written properly and that it, that the law was actually potentially letting out violent offenders. Violent and nonviolent when it comes to crime is actually not as black and white as we think it is. There's plenty of crimes that I would consider violent that are not a violent crime. Certain forms of robbery are not a violent crime is the best example I can okay, give. Yeah. 
Is it so, one? Isn't there something that has to happen for it to be called burglary? Burglary? Yes. I don't have, I don't have sentencing okay. guidelines for me, but yeah, I think so. I know so. it has something to do with violence, but in, anyway, you can yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, but exactly. So, there, so there's, there's tears to this stuff, like strong-armed robbery, non-armed, all those things are, are semantics, but they build. Yeah. Large, okay. So this current administration comes in, pulls it back, and it actually was set to affect, by the end of this bill, it will have affected about 8,000 people who are held in incarceration. In Virginia alone, we have roughly 30,000 people in our prisons. Mm. That's just our prisons. That's not our jails. Mm. We have certain counties in Virginia, which is, isn't going to seem like a lot. We have certain counties and cities in Virginia where 1% of the population is incarcerated. Once again, that probably doesn't seem like a lot, but when you break down the numbers, that's yeah, a lot. It's a lot. So... Yeah, this new bill goes into effect. It gets pulled for certain people with certain charges. And that ended up affecting about 600 of the first group that was supposed to leave in July. So these are people whose families, and this is all over the news. You can, you can look up the videos of the people, um, of families who were impacted by this, whose loved ones were no longer coming home. Um, some of them... We're supposed to get out and they will now serve an additional seven years. Like, it's not like they're just serving a couple more months. Some of them are serving more years. And they're finding this out how, how much before the release. Say that again. Like how they found this out that they, oh, wait, you're not getting out. How, oh. how close to the release? So the way that the releases were working was like on a 30-day window just because of the sheer volume okay. that we're going yeah. out. But the first day, um, it was a week before. So they were supposed to get out on July 1st, which was a Friday. This new thing came out overnight on the 23rd to the 24th Crazy. of June. So exactly Crazy. a week before. Yeah. This comes out. All of these inmates were notified. They then had to call their families. And it's like, these are people who could have been interstate compacts. So then their families were booking hotel rooms to come and get them and Mm -hmm. set them up wherever they had to be on probation, whatever, like people made moves and then it all shifted and it shifted in the name of, Oh, these people actually have violent offenses and they shouldn't have been counted in this, but we had two years to figure this out. Yeah. And so, so it what, doesn't then sit well. <laughs> all right. So we, I think we need to camp out here for a second. So for myself and people listening what what do you say to people that have similar to what you just said, that thought process of, well, they, like, they agree, I guess. Like, what would you say to people that feel like, well, they deserve to still be in there because mm. of, the, of the violence thing? Yeah. I, so I am very much a person who believes that there is a small subset of people in this world who are not redeemable. There is a small subset of people okay. who have committed a crime and, and they deserve to be locked away for the rest of their lives. And so to someone who would say, you know, Oh, that, well, they need to stay back anyway. They wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been up for review mm. if 
like to get out early if they didn't show that promise. Like, yeah. Because the whole purpose of this was to promote good behavior while they're incarcerated. And I think the thing that you've asked me a couple of times is like, is this in an event or is this in an effort to lower the population? I mean, we're not going to put that in writing. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we would ever see that in policy, but I think it's understood of like, we need to do that. We don't have enough beds in our jail. We certainly don't. When I was still working in the jail that I was in, we were putting people up on cots in the day room. Like we don't have enough room. And that's that once again, that's something that was entirely documented. You can read about it in your local newspaper. Um, so for somebody who would say like, oh, they deserve to be in there. I would say, what makes them irredeemable? What about their behavior now shows that they still need to be in there? Because some of these mm. people committed unarmed robbery 25 years ago. Yeah. at a gas station that doesn't exist anymore and their victims are fine. Like the victims of the crime are fine. They're thriving. They're okay. They hopefully have worked through their stuff. And that would just make me say to them, like, when did you become judge and jury? Like, I know that that's sassy, but I think that that's the fact. When did you become judge and jury on somebody's yeah. freedom? Yeah. So is the, um, that was great. Would you say the line of objective, and I say objective, not that someone won't disagree, but objective injustice is that um, these people were promised or given an option, like a, almost a program, I guess, while you know, while in jail, serving their time to pursue within the system good behavior, literally good behavior to do all the right things to get out, did it, we're on the way out. And then up to, you know, a week before that was going to happen, that was taken away and actually almost increased their time staying. So that's, that's the bare bones. What happened, Mm right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Um, Yeah. That, when you told me about that, you know, obviously that's not something that is going to be, you know, a big headline necessarily. So I was appreciative of understanding a little bit more what might go on with something like that behind the scenes. So, mm-hmm. um, but there's not a connection seemingly, even though it's my, it's kind of a similar theme, I guess, along the lines of what the president just did. Just it's at the federal level. Yeah. So, so. what the, there, I, I mean, I would say that there is, it it tracks still. Okay. So like you said, so, you know, on a federal level that is now decriminalized. However, in Virginia, it was decriminalized in the summer of 2021 that flipped um, under this new administration and has actually been recriminalized if you have possession of over two ounces of marijuana, um, which okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's nothing. That's yeah. nothing. Um, and like, you know, dispensaries are still set to, to be open in 2024. And so that calls into question that, but that's where I was saying earlier, like what happens on a federal level? And I mean, we, you know, you and I are not law experts. We're not policy experts, anything like that. And so I think it does just call to people backtracking to our first episode, um, 
where we talk about like be knowledgeable when you go to the poll, like understand where this candidate that you are looking and we do have midterms coming up. This is important. Um, Be aware of the policies that are being put that are being put in place and how that legitimately affects you and how that's going to affect the laws that are currently in place. Because obviously one person doesn't just make the law like current administration didn't just come in and one person was like, Oh, we need to recriminalize this again because it's in the best interest of the Commonwealth. Yeah. You know, they have, uh, advisors. Yeah. Stop dehumanizing people, man. Stop dehumanizing people. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, okay. Speaking of, um, dehumanization, um, local elections, um, We'll never turn this into a straight political podcast, but if um, we also believe, which we say all the time, calling a spade a spade, I'm going to bring up these these two people because we've broken them down on the show several times, at least once each. But um, Ron DeSantis, governor in Florida, Greg Abbott, governor in Texas. We talked about Greg Abbott in relation to um, shooting at the elementary school in Texas. Recently in Ron DeSantis, we broke down um, some of our thoughts with um, education in Florida and removing some of the language from educational um, documents and kind of he's been one of the front leaders for the crusade on CRT. We've broken that down a lot. Um, We got a lot of pushback. I got some pushback personally from going a little bit too hard on the CRT stuff and on somebody like Aaron DeSantis and the education system in a way of not, you know, terribly overt pushback, but pushback in a sense of, look, this isn't such a big deal. Um, cause it's not, you know, it's, it's just changing some wording and, um, banning some books, book banning happens, you know, all the time. And then, you know, I was told, and I, you know, I appreciated some feed, some of the feedback, but told that, you know, some of the things he was doing wasn't necessarily out of the norm, which maybe it was, maybe it's not. I mean, it's not bad. Yeah, maybe it was, maybe it's not, but that mean it wasn't bad. But I will say, we, I, I try, people that come on here, John Mark, I'll speak for all the, for them, but we try not to talk about stuff, just to talk about it, that is going to be, um, you know, riling anything up that's un- unnecessarily but we do I do try to be faithful to talk about things that I can see a theme of um that I can see common themes especially along the lines of depriving people of dignity and I was serious when we talked about this even though it seemed like oh you're just talking about the education system it's not that big a deal the stuff back then that somebody like Ron DeSantis was touting out there and pressing into might have seemed small education system, but what has just happened recently, him being the front man to do this, is the um political um statement he went for and he by um I'm fumbling this by flying um immigrants or migrants out of um, somehow they flew out of Texas, but also Florida, up to Martha's Vineyard, um, literally tricking, hiring people to trick 
people into boarding planes, being promised jobs, being promised um, places to live, food, all these things. Um, Asylum-seeking migrants tricked, like you can't make this stuff up, tricked to boarding planes, flew them up north to Martha's Vineyard intentionally to to, um, try and call the bluff of Democrats, um, heavily Democratic areas who claim to be, you know, pro, pro-immigration. Um, and so literally, as if they were pawns, gathered up, tricked, you know, 40 to 50 migrants, boarded them a plane and just scattered them about up there like workers at Martha's Vineyard were, you know, interviewed and just said they would look out the window and see just people looking lost, walking around saying, hey, we, we were just dropped off. We're told you guys got these programs, all these stuff for us. Luckily, and again, this isn't a political statement, just luckily they were showed dignity and it seems like they walked the walk and a lot of these people up there started caring for them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know for how long, but anyway, disgusting thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right, disgusting thing to do. Ron DeSantis. Um, I I think even weirdly enough kind of doubled down on doing it so it wasn't necessarily even trying to run from the criticism but that's what is scary the same person that will do something so dehumanizing to people is the same one that um, I think a lot of us are reluctant to take seriously when he's you know removing education about um, other cultures and doubling down on um, ensuring we don't talk about anything that has to do with race, you know, in our school system like that. Those common mm-hmm. threads aren't an encouraging thing um, in, in leadership. So speaking of elections, again, this isn't a place for pure politics, but Brooke, like you just said, please be knowledgeable about the implications for these things. Like these aren't small things like these these things we're only talking about because it literally affects lives and the dignity of human beings who are being dehumanized across the board. We've in one foul swoop inside, I think about an hour right now, all these things, the common thread is dehumanizing people. Like sometimes I think just saying something's racist is putting it too lightly, like dehumanizing, depriving people of their dignity is at the heart of, of these justice issues we're talking about. You got anything to add add to that? Did you see that story at all? Yeah, no, I definitely did. And I think it was just heartbreaking. And it, it just begs me to ask, like, how, like, how are you threatened by allowing a book to be read? Yeah. In in class. A lot of book bans still happening. How are you threatened or how is how is your position challenged negatively mm-hmm. by allowing something like CRT? Like, I think those things are meant to inform us. I don't, I don't think we have to make that our our pure identity. But no, like, let's recognize the history that's brought us to where we're at, and and allow it to permeate and make changes within ourselves. And then things like that aren't going to threaten us. You know, I, I think somebody who who just vehemently opposes CRT, I'm like, what did it do to you? Yeah. What has it done wrong to you? Yeah. So 
it, it was disgusting. And then I think when, when then we look at, you know, thousands of people in his state were displaced by a hurricane. Unfortunate. Yep. Natural disaster happened. And other people had to then house people of his state. And, you know, same thing similarly in Texas last year or um, 2021 with the big ice freeze that they had and it devastated the state. Yeah. And it's like people have to come in then and help out. Like, let's not just ship people off who are looking for help. Yeah. I get it that then it puts a big weight on that society, but we can help them. Yeah. It just, um, when the main platform someone is running on has to do with literally dehumanizing others, like, I don't think, I know a lot of times we're saying we're not experts, political experts, and that's something a lot of people say, but you don't have to be. Like, that should be, we're human beings. Like, you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be knowledgeable about how politics work to pick up on. This isn't good. Um, and mm-hmm. I am absolutely not saying that a certain side or another side has it all figured out and is has not guilty of some terrible stuff. I'm really not saying that, but there's like a, yeah. the bar is so low in some ways for this that it's, we can't play dumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like with some of the things. Um President Trump and some of the people that tout the same ideologies just set that bar so low that it, it it you don't you really don't have to be an expert in a lot of these conversations, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's no one's fault really beyond that that we keep finding ourselves what seems to be in a lose lose situation sometimes, but that's to me in some ways even more reason to all right, if it's that bad, if it's lose-lose, you really should be knowledgeable, um, which mm-hmm. we try to do, you know, best we can here on here in these conversations. All right, let's wrap this up. I don't, I don't, I think I mentioned this before we recorded and you had a visceral reaction, but let's just go there for a hot second and we'll wrap this up. But um, we started and now we'll end with some pop culture but we can't skirt around this, Brooke. What um, what are your thoughts on your boy? Well, I shouldn't say your boy. Uh, I don't claim that, man. <laughs> shouldn't be anyone's boy right now. But on on Kanye, he's continues to dig himself deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, some thoughts. So, Kanye, I I don't think. Outside of Britney Spears in 2007, I don't think we've had a person who has gone on more roller coasters publicly than Kanye West in recent years. Um, hmm. and, I, and I don't mean that jokingly. Like that, I mean, both of them had a lot of mental health stuff and everything. But at this point, even as the counselor, I can't chalk that up to mental health. Like this has been deliberate. And at this point, like his statement's known. Um, yeah. I saw an interview from uh, Sean Combs, P. Diddy, whatever you want to call him, and he's got 100 names, mm. um, recently where he was commenting on 
Kanye West, I think he got a little bit of flack too, because he was just like, you know, Kanye's kind of in his own world. He does what he wants, blah, blah, blah. And then he had to come out and issue another statement and say, now listen, I don't stand by what he did. Like, understand that. Um, and I think at first when I saw the pictures, I'm like, that, that's gotta be, gotta be Photoshopped. Like this isn't real. So which things, which things are we talking about? Cause there's, there's enough of them that we should specify. Okay. So for me, I'm talking about the white lives matter shirt at okay. the Paris fashion show or whatever it was. Yeah. Paris fashion show, which he's, wasn't that his thing? I couldn't tell. Oh, I no anyway, <laughs> Paris fashion show picture of him wearing a white lives matter shirt arm in arm with it was Candace Owens. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think seeing that was like, I think that was the nail in the coffin as far as I see it personally, because, and we have, you have said this on this podcast, people who, who stand up have said this on this podcast, like regardless of your opinions of black lives matter as an organization, I don't, I don't touch that. Like you can have your opinions of them as an organization. The phrase Black Lives Matter is a statement. It is a true statement. And Mm. it's not in contention with saying any other race matters. It's like, we matter too. These lives matter too. And I think the fact that we're still saying that however many years later is astonishing. That is astonishing. Mm. (laughs) That like people can't separate that. So my question when I saw that is, when has a white life not mattered? Because there are still people who stand up for all what's his face, because I literally block his name out, who knelt on George Floyd's neck. Like, there's still people who stand up for him. And there are still people who stand up for, for the men who shot Ahmaud Arbery, and, and people who shot children. Like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, and they're white, they're white people. And so it's like, when has your life not mattered? Why do you need black people to stand up and say that? You know, mm-hmm. and somebody's going to say, oh, well, why do you need white people to stand up and say black lives matter? Well, because you have more of a platform to do that. We have to use our privilege as we get it. I have a lot mm-hmm. of privilege being a biracial woman who is very much white passing. I will stand up and make that statement for my children, <laughs> for for my family, for my brothers, for my sisters, anybody because i have an ounce more of privilege because some people just think they don't know what i am yeah you know and we covered that before so i took a deep dive i'm gonna back up <laughs> but no. it was it, it it's been in, it's infuriating yeah i that was great um very well said appreciate you being vulnerable with some of that feedback I'll be honest, like I think to me, yes, my first gut when I saw that picture specifically was um, the White Lives Matter holding arm in arm with Candace Owens. Um, I I didn't, yes, I thought it was photoshopped, but then once I knew it wasn't, I don't even go down the White Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter comparison anymore. I think with Kanye, I just go to what is happening and like what is believable and what should he be held accountable for. And the more stuff goes on, the more I think the latter should be a lot, a lot more um, accountability. 
for him. And, the, you know, there's always going to be, and I think it's valid. It's great having your perspective as, as the counselor. But um, the mental health stuff, that's valid. We, we absolutely prioritize and care about that discussion um, on here. I think he has been through a lot, as many people have. Trauma, racial trauma is absolutely mm-hmm. present for him. So we don't not empathize or sympathize with that. But I would tend to agree with what you said, the deliberateness and the level of um, insensitivity is putting it lightly, but downright just intentional wrongdoing cannot be overlooked at this point. Um, Do I want him to, I don't, this sounds condescending, but get the help he needs? Yeah, absolutely. But also there's got to be accountability um, for him. And we can no longer, for people still hanging on, can't just chalk it up to Kanye is going to be Kanye. Mm-hmm. He's doing, he's going to do what he does. Oh, it's the mental health stuff. It, you know, it's it's okay. He's hurting too many people. And it would almost kind of be, I wish I could believe that he was completely ignorant to some of the stuff he's doing. That would make it better to me. That's just my opinion. But I don't think he is, and I think the flip side is it's really I don't I'm not I don't like calling somebody an an evil person or something, but it's wrong. Like it feels evil to do that knowingly to people. Like where like he had to have known what that would do and how um, even the black community would respond. He has you know I think like fifty million followers on social media. Like. He's got to know what that's going to do. And then to even be arm in arm with somebody who's in a Candace Owens who's made a career off of oppressing black people, mm-hmm. frankly, um, is another just, you know, twisting the knife in the womb, um, what I can imagine. Um, and so I think, yeah, with the Kanye stuff, and then he recently said more um, insensitive things um, about the Jewish community, mm-hmm. um, disparaging marks, remarks there that cannot can no longer be overlooked. Um, that's just, you, you can no longer just chalk it up to, oh, but he's still a genius. Like, he's still a genius lyricist, and, you know, Kanye's mm-hmm. going to be Kanye. Part of his genius is his mental health. No, like, yeah. we got to stop. We can't condone that anymore at the same time wish him well but um it's hurting too many people um yeah i mean i i think we looked okay so years back you know the lead singer of the dixie chicks commented and said that we are ashamed that the president of the united states is from texas and people burned their albums threatened their Mm -hmm. lives not Mm -hmm. a single soul has set college dropout on fire not a single soul yeah. has walked out there and done done one of these mass things. And I'm like, we persecuted these women because they commented on what a white man did. But mm. this black man stands up and is like, oh, arm in arm with Candace Owens, white lives matter. Oh, what did he, he said he was going to like take out a bunch of Jewish people first yeah. thing or something like that. I'm like... Yeah, I mean, like he, you fumbled, said, he fumbled through his words again. He said, I'm going to go DEFCON, DEFCON De- yeah. 3, D-E-A-T-H-CON, which the, that's not even how you, it, it's 
I think DEF CEO. Yeah, DEF DEFCON, which is a I guess a military military mm-hmm. thing. So not not DEFCON. Anyway, that that was what he said on mm-hmm. I can't remember the whole quote, but um I think he said it on Twitter. Poorly executed in every way. Um Yeah. 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 Uh wish it wasn't so. Um that that's what's happening with with Kanye. Um, but doesn't look good. Again, stuff won't continue to be surprising anymore for him, but I think it reached a new height that it's just you gotta if your opinion wasn't changed already, you gotta you gotta cut him loose. Um mm-hmm. if you're you're still holding on to Kanye, you know, allegiance. Mm-hmm. Um all right, Brooke, thanks for um, going through some of these muddy waters with, with me and for our listeners. I, yeah. It was a um, darker episode, but <laughs> I, I believe it's been helpful. Sometimes we have to go here. Um, yeah. For those that made it all the way to the end, all right, let's 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 get out of here on our ha- in our happy place. So our Lakers... We cannot say who's going to win the ship because David... We did this last year, and they were. No, we didn't jinx it. We didn't jinx anything. They were gonna. They were gonna suck. <laughs> we were so hyped for for Russ, and it just. But okay, cracked. Lakers NBA. What are you excited about? Season starts next week. A week from yesterday. Hmm. Um. I'm honestly. I'm honestly just excited to be watching basketball again. Yeah. yeah. I've I've loved watching the preseason. Um, yeah. I'm following all the ridiculous stories right now, which once again, we could go on a whole rant about Mm -hmm. Draymond Green. We both have opinions on Draymond. Um, But, you know, Steve Kerr, I I think he's a, I think he's actually a class act. He is a class act. Draymond, man, no one dislikes him more than me, but that, that the video of him uh, punching Jordan Poole was that it, it hurt. I was just like, man, that I don't think they're bouncing back from that. As somebody that roots against the Warriors, I'm a little bit happy because I think that's gonna be a little bit of their downfall this season. But mm-hmm. no one wants to see no one wants to see that. That was puzzling. Um yeah. just a sucker punch. Um anyway, we're we're about to go down rabbit trails that no one knows what we're <laughs> talking about. Um yes, excited for NBA, for some NBA. I won't say we're gonna win it because I don't want to jinx it, and also we're not we're not going to Brooke. No, just ain't gonna happen. No, they're not. That's. I want to try to go to a live game. I feel safe enough at this point in community yeah. that I think, I think I might go buy myself a Hornets ticket. Like I don't. Yeah. I mean, I want them to be playing somebody good, but I just want to go. Yeah. Well, I I want to see LeBron playing a Laker uniform. So it's been like four years now, but then COVID happened, and then. Mm-hmm. Every time they come on, typically when they make the East Coast runs, there's too much of a chance that LeBron will sit because it's the end of the year. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to – I can't go pay to – I'm not going to watch the Wizards play the Lakerless – I mean the um, LeBronless, LeBron-less Lakers. Lakers. Um, anyway, yeah, we, we should make that happen though. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, and I think – Go ahead. I was going to say we're close to his son being in the league, and so I'm ready for that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he's – He's a nice. He's a nice little player. He is. I hope he can. I hope he can grow into his own, and and just people know he's not going to be anywhere close to his dad. But he's a nice player. Yeah. 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 
Alright, bro. Thank you as always for doing this. You'll be back plenty more. Thank you for always being my uh, go-to correspondent for the pod. You're a great resource. Um, best of luck with your studies. I know you're killing it. Um, look forward to seeing you next time. In person, I know you've been swinging through Radford off and on, so I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Yeah. Um, music you're listening to, listeners, is done by, of course, our good friend Dylan Dent. Our artwork was created by Ashley Bush. And we'll see you guys next time. The nightmare might scare you, no worse than reality. They hunt you by day, y'all rob me Everybody got a time, but that's less than comforting. I hope I'm alive by the time they choose to come for me. Mosquitoes in the vein, or leeches on my soul. This money on my mind is a fracture of my bones. You get crippled by continuing existence like a ghost. And they wonder why we drink, and they wonder why we smoke. And they wonder why we think that everything's a joke. I'm shocked that we can sleep, must be the thought of letting go. Now I lay me down to see if I'm better